3: If we ever needed tools to deal with uncertainty, the time is now. With Path Home Shamanic Art School online classes, from the comfort and safety of your home, you can master an ancient earth and galactic based shamanism that will aid you during these challenging times. The cornerstone of all shamanic practice is an altered state of consciousness known as a journey trance. With this easily learned technique, one can heal the past, see future alternatives, and co-create reality. Lower World Journey is the second lesson in the Galactic Shamanism series, created and taught by certified instructor, Wilda Weyeka. Classes include Certificates of Completion, which serve as prerequisites for advanced studies. Don't wait to empower your life. Visit FindYourPathHome.com to get your class today. That's FindYourPathHome.com.
0: Linnea Starr began to demonstrate a metaphysical connection to the spirit world as a little girl. Her family noticed the connection, but it was a great-grandmother who told the family that Linnea was indeed gifted. The great-grandmother, who was also gifted, felt that Linnea had indeed inherited these attributes. It has been noticed that oftentimes, such things are passed down through the generations. Linnea was also born with a call a thin white membrane across a newborn's face. Legend has it that if the baby is born with this call, the child will have second sight or what we call psychic abilities. Linnaeus Star does past, present and future and has the gift of prophecy. It is written within scriptures that if you are able to give factual information and prophecies indeed come true. The gift in t a r
3: Hello, my visionary friends, and thank you for joining me, Gwilda on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading esoteric and scientific experts supporting the co-creation of a better tomorrow. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So sit back, take notes, and enjoy. This hour we'll be exploring Lost Children, Evolution of Foster Care. It's been said that you can measure the health of a society by the way they treat their children. Historically, either the parents or extended family would see to the care of offspring. Yet, according to the most recent federal data, there are currently more than 400,000 children in foster care in the United States alone a number which does not include the children who simply disappear. This is a staggering figure. It would indicate we are failing as a society. What happens to these traumatized children? What provision is available for them to recover and become responsible, loving parents themselves? Clearly, some evolutionary approach and solutions are in order. With us this hour to explore the challenges faced by many of today's children is Dr. John DeGarmo, He's the author of several foster care books, including his latest, The Little Book of Foster Care Wisdom, 365 Days of Inspiration and Encouragement for Foster Care Families, and the best-selling book, Faith in Foster Care, and the foster care children's book, A Different Home, A New Foster, a New foster Child Story. He's the director of the Foster Care Institute and acts as a consultant to foster care and legal agencies across the U.S., Dr. John is an informative trainer on foster care systems and travels extensively across the globe, meeting with foster parents, child welfare workers, churches, schools, and organizations. His website, drjohndegarmofostercare.com. John, John, on behalf of our listeners and myself, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity.
3: What's your educational background?
2: Oh, goodness gracious. Uh... (laughs) My, my kids would say, way too much school, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I, got my, I, I never really uh, considered um, pursuing my doctorate in foster care studies. It wasn't until uh, I had children in my home, placed in my home, from the foster care system that I recognized as a teacher that so many children in foster care were falling through the cracks, falling through the um, school systems, and something needed to be done. So I focused on how do you bring together teachers Foster parents and caseworkers all together to make sure that children in foster care do not fall through those cracks. so To speak, fifty-five percent of kids in foster care will drop out of school; will not graduate.
3: So, your your uh, doctorate is in foster care.
2: Well, well, I have an I have an. Uh, it's more of a it's more of an uh, educational studies, uh, but the focus certainly was on foster care. Yes.
3: Okay. So, how did you become interested in foster care in the first place?
2: Well, you know uh, my. The death of our first child years and years ago uh, led my wife and I to wanting to help other children. And when I was teaching in a very, very rural school setting in, in Georgia, I saw so many kids coming through my classroom that had issues of attendance, had issues of academics, had issues of behavior. And I asked myself, what's happening? What is going on in this small rural town? And then I met many of their birth parents, and I recognized that it really started in the home. So a lot of discussion with my wife about, you know, we lost our first child. How can we help others? And that led to foster parenting.
3: So as a foster parent, how many children have you fostered?
2: Over 60 children have come through my home.
3: Oh, my goodness. What are the challenges of raising foster children?
2: Where do you start? I want to tell you it's been the hardest thing I've ever done, the most rewarding thing I've done, but the hardest thing I've ever done. You know, so many people say to me, Dr. John, I couldn't do what you do. It would hurt too much to give the kids back. That's part of the struggle. That's to be sure. You know, when a child comes into our home, they need stability and they need security. But what they need more than anything else is for someone to love them with all of their heart. We might be the first person who's ever loved them. Uh, like a family member. So when they do leave, yeah, it's like losing a member of your child or a member of your family, like losing a child member, and your heart breaks. And, and foster parents experience feelings of grief and loss when a child leaves, for whatever reason it might be. Uh, there's also the challenge of when a child's placed in your home, they're filled with a great deal of anxiety. There is that misconception that when a child's placed into a foster care setting, uh, the child is happy to be there, happy to be away from uh, that abusive, harmful, neglectful, uh, environment. You know, that's anything but the truth. When a child is placed in my home or any other foster care home, they're filled with questions such as why am I here? When do I go home? Did I do something wrong?
3: Yeah. That's the big one, isn't it? Did did I do something wrong that I got thrown away?
2: Right. Do my Mm -hmm. parents not love me anymore? Um, who are these strange people? How long will I be here? So they're filled with a great deal of anxiety those first few nights, and they don't trust us, and they shouldn't. You know that's challenging to be sure. And then of how, course, how old
3: are these children that you you've fostered?
2: Oh, I've had children range. as I, I've had children as young as 27 hours old to as old oh, as my. 18 years of age, and everything in between.
3: Oh, my goodness. And you know, it sounds to me like there's a real challenge here in that after turning over, <laughs> turning back, giving back or sending up for adoption, numerous children that you've fostered isn't don't you run a risk of shutting your heart down and not opening it up as much to the next child that comes through?
2: Very true, very true. Compassion fatigue. secondary traumatic stress is is very real for foster parents. and and that's and that's it's very hard. Yes. but you know, when that phone call comes and there's another child out there, Uh, that needs a home, it's hard to say no to that child. And, you know, that broken heart, I think, is a gift to the child. I might be the first person who's ever cried for that child. I might be the first person who's ever had that heartbreak for the child. So I'm giving that child the gift of love, the gift of a broken heart. So hopefully that that feeling of love will stay with the child for the rest of their life. They'll know that for a time in their life, and maybe the only time in their life, somebody loved them.
3: So, how do you balance that with staying healthy and balanced yourself?
2: Well, that is another challenge. When you have children in your home who are filled with anxieties, who really are demanding of your time uh, and all of your time, that can be tough. My wife and I, uh, we really rely a lot upon each other, it's a partnership. so we, we carve out, we try to carve out time for each other. We try to carve out time for ourselves. If we don't, we become burned out. If we don't, we do suffer from that compassion fatigue. So it's essential that you find time for both your marriage and for yourself. But that can be a challenge. That is true. So
3: um, you mentioned you lost a child, and I, I'm so sorry. Do you have other biological children as well?
2: I do. I have three children biologically, and we've also had the blessing of adopting three children as well. Now, we have experienced four failed adoptions, which means for some reason or other, the adoption did not go through. Um, But you know what? There's no label in our house. There's no label of biological, foster, or adoptive. We consider them all family members.
3: How do they consider themselves? I mean, there's got to be some kind of an adjustment going for them there.
2: Oh, to be sure to be sure. As I said earlier, they're filled with anxiety coming to our home, so they have to, it takes them time to recognize that they're in an environment of safety, they're in an environment of stability, consistency, of love, that they're not gonna be hurt, they're not gonna be abused, whether it's physically, sexually, verbally, emotionally. So yeah, that takes time, yes. Um, But you know, we treat them as family members. We don't label them, and we don't treat them any differently. Uh, Are there different ways of raising them, to be sure, because these children do need various forms of counseling, various forms of therapy. There are issues of attachment. There are issues of trust. But, you know, these kids need what they need most is time and compassion and patience.
3: Don't, Don't most of them have PTSD? I mean, if things were bad enough for them to be taken from their family of origin, they've probably suffered greatly. How do you manage that?
2: Well, that's true. That to be sure. Uh, Many children do suffer from PTSD and a number of things. Reactive attachment disorder, disinhibited social engagement disorder. There's so much. Uh, How do you manage it Uh, again with that? Would you mind going back
3: and would you mind going back and describe what those disorders are for us lay people here? Oh, yeah,
2: sure. Reactive attachment disorder is a. Very tough disorder for everybody involved. The child is, is, has issues of attachment and they usually try, they usually push everybody away. Uh, they're filled with anger. The anger overwhelms them. They don't know how to process those feelings. They struggle in uh, forming relationships with people. Uh, disinhibited social engagement disorder is a disorder where the child quickly tries to form a relationship with everybody they meet yet they're not healthy relationships. And that can be just as just as challenging. Uh, in a nutshell, that's what those are. Um, so, yeah, my pleasure. So when these children come into their homes filled with ang- all these types of disorders and anxieties, again, that's where the patience and compassion and time comes in. But more importantly, what I tell foster parents is this. You know, w- Listen, when my car breaks down, I'm, I'm not a mechanic. I can't fix it. I hire a mechanic. When my air conditioning unit breaks down, I can't fix it. I'm going to hire the AC guy. I have to recognize as a foster parent that I can't fix everything either. So we have to, as foster parents, we have to partner with professional therapists and counselors to get these children the important needed resources and therapeutical services they do need.
3: Yeah, there's no no replacement for somebody that has um, a professional viewpoint on how to deal with this. Um, We're going to need to take a commercial break. On the other side, I'd like to discuss how do you know when it's time to take a a foster child to a professional? So uh, we will take this commercial break, and John and I will return shortly. So don't go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. We will be back. You stay right there. Shamanic healing is the key to personal empowerment. Why? All four levels of our being, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, must be addressed for us to enjoy balanced, healthy, abundant lives. Yet there are few provisions for spiritual or energetic healing. Shamanism, found at the root of all cultures, is a very effective spiritual healing modality. To find quality shamanic healing you can trust, regardless of where you live, look no further than find your path home, long-distance shamanic healing program. All Path Home long-distance healing practitioners have been trained and certified through Path Home Shamanic Heart School. Change your life. Live abundantly. Schedule a long-distance shamanic healing session with Wilda Wiecka or one of her quality practitioners today at FindYourPathHome.com.
0: Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at amazon.com. Rob McConnell here presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Giinnick, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com That's www.futureofgodamen.com
3: Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, evolution missionevolution.org, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all of our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about the challenges our children are facing today? Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled Creative Aging in a World of Upheaval. R.L. Shares, I have to admit being disappointed that the best advice your guest had on preparing for retirement in the face of the current economic challenges was basically hide and watch. Do you plan on having someone else on to discuss our options soon? Thanks for your input, L.R. I'll see who we can find to further explore the topic. With us this hour, discussing the many challenges faced by our children today, is Dr. John de Gamaro. His website, Dr. John de Gamaro fostercare.com. John, we were just getting into when is it time to um, seek professional help in helping a foster child adu- uh, adapt, and I would also like to look into how do you keep them from feeling like there's something wrong with them or the other children feeling like they're getting preferential treatment in the process?
2: No, those are great questions. You know, to begin with, children in foster care are going to suffer from a number of anxieties, including the anxiety being placed in a foster care home. It's never really too early to find a type of professional therapy or counseling session for these children. They will need counseling. And sometimes uh, my wife and I will attend counseling sessions with the children as well, type of a family type therapy or family counseling sessions just to support the child. Uh, you know so again it's really never too early to begin counseling sessions for that child on a,
3: on another topic how do you know when one of the children you're fostering is right to adopt for your family
2: well uh, as i mentioned we've had 3 we've we've adopted 3 children and we've uh, we've experienced four failed adoptions the adoption process what's, is not sorry, one that what's, what's
3: a failed adoption exactly
2: well, we tried to adopt four other children, and for some reason, the adoption did not go through. They moved with birth parents or biological family members, uh, and those all um, ended in tragic situations. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's quite common for foster parents to experience what is known as a failed adoption. The adoption process is on track, and then some reason it's derailed, uh, and many times it can lead to uh, a very unfortunate situation.
3: And further trauma for the child, no doubt.
2: Yes, as well, as the foster parents, and that's how you lose good foster parents as well, because when they experience heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak, so many of them say, hey, this is too tough for me. I can't do this anymore.
3: Mm-hmm. I can certainly understand that. I personally adore children. I'd try to adopt them all, and that wouldn't necessarily be um, the right way to go. So back right. to the question that I interrupted you on, how do you know when the child is it's right for you to adopt a foster child?
2: Well, first of all, let's look at how the adoption process works. So a child is placed into foster care and the birth parents or biological family members have a certain amount of time, depending upon the state and depending upon the case, Uh, They have a certain amount of time to work their reunification plan. Reunification is when the child is reunified with the family, biological family. And the birth parents may have to take parenting classes or show proof of uh, income stability, housing stability, um, free from drugs and alcohol, uh, a a number of, of things. And if that should not work out according to that time frame or even extended time frame, then the court may rule for TPR, termination of parental rights. At that time, when the parental rights have been terminated, many times the agency will look for another biological family member, a grandparent, a cousin, aunt, uncle, older sibling, whatever it might be, uh, in the surrounding area, maybe the state, perhaps even nationwide, to see if they wish to adopt the child. And if that should not come to fruition, then the foster parents have the option to adopt the child. So you can see it's quite a lengthy process. Now, uh, I often remind foster parents that when you get a phone call for the child to be placed in your home, you have to very, very quickly determine if this is a good fit for your family and if your family is a good fit for the child. With, With hundreds of thousands of kids in the foster care system in the nation, I have to recognize that, you know what, I'm not the best home for every child out there. I can't provide every resource that that child needs. So, again, I have to determine if 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 I can give the resources to support the child needs, if my family is a good fit for that child and if the child is a good fit for my family. And sometimes I have to say no. Sometimes I have to say no to that placement. It's kind of the same thing with adoption. You know, you have to look at all of the... Of the, um, of the things, is, is this a good fit for your family? Is your family a good fit for that child? Can you provide what that child needs? Now, to be honest, I wish I could adopt many, many poor children out there because I, I hate to see a child without a family.
3: It's, it's heartbreaking and there's so much of it going on. What, what's the major cause of children being taken from their family of origin and placed into a foster care home?
2: Abuse, neglect abandonment, various forms of abuse, you know, sexual, physical, emotional, um, opiate, opiate, Opiate uh, addiction is very strong right now. Many children are being placed into the foster care system due to the opiate epidemic. When their parents are incarcerated because of their opiate addiction, where do those children go? When their parents are hospitalized due to the opiate epidemic, where do those children go? Even worse, when their parents die from their opiate addictions, where do those children go? They're going into a foster care system, flooding into a foster care system, if you will, and a system that really can't handle it right now. More children coming into the system, not enough foster parents to help these children.
3: Do you see, do you see um, the numbers rising of children that are being placed in foster care? What's that look like over time here?
2: Well, we were seeing a decrease after we, we were having a, an increase for such a longest time, and then the last couple of years there was a decrease. Yet, unfortunately, I would say in the last uh, – since maybe 2018, we've seen the increase again, again due to the opiate epidemic. And now that we're in a time of COVID-19, we will see an increase of children even more in foster care. As these children are isolated at homes, we know as a result there is a rise in child abuse. Mm. Normally, we have – and, and, and any given year in the United States – five million children witness or experience domestic violence in their homes. Yet now, these children who are not going to school, who are not going to their dance lessons or whatever it might be, they're not around those mandated reporters, teachers, coaches, counselors, Uh, those mandated reporters who might report uh, something to the child welfare agency if they suspect something. Instead, these children are isolated at home, They're in an environment where there is high anxiety, and as a result, there's a rise in child abuse. Unfortunately, it's not being reported, again, due to the lack of mandated reporter. But I firmly believe that when the doors to the world open up, we will see an increase uh, of children in need of foster homes.
3: Do... People – families outside of foster care uh, people, uh, is there – what kind of adoption provision is there and what percentage of these children that are adopted outside of uh, family members um, are picked up by families that are looking for children that aren't necessarily foster parents?
2: Well, you have thousands of children in the foster care system who are never adopted. Unfortunately, what happens to them is they age out of the system at 18 or 21 years of age, whatever it might be. And those statistics are grim. Fifty-five percent will drop out of school. Sixty-five percent will end up – Incar homeless seventy five percent will end up incarcerated and like so many of them will start over for their next generation. You know there are many though who will adopt outside of the foster care system even outside of the United States. I, I know many who have done so, um, and that can be a challenge as well. What many don't understand is post adoption depression is a very very real disorder or anxiety if you will for not only the child but also for the adoptive parent.
3: Do you think that's because people put an undo, uh, then I'll be okay. Once I get adopted, then I'll be okay. Once I have a child, then I'll be okay. And it doesn't really solve all the problems.
2: Absolutely right. To be sure. For the child, there may be issues of identity. There may be issues of guilt. They may feel that they are, uh, they may have guilt because they feel that they are betraying their biological family member. It's also the end of a chapter in their life. And that, that may be hard for them to to address as well. For the adoptive parent, there might be feelings of, um, of guilt because they, the attachment or bonding did not happen as quickly as they would have liked. For others, it might be um, issues of previous trauma or anxiety in their life that they never resolved and they felt that they could help their the, the adoptive child. Or there might be um, uh, issues of infertility, past issues of infertility that were never addressed as well.
3: And those can leave their scars.
2: Oh, yes, to be sure, to be yeah. sure.
3: <laughs> How do you balance
0: the... The we're going family style deal.
1: Because I want a bite of your Big Mac.
0: And I need some of your quarter d'Apon. I'll
1: try your filet of fish
0: There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer.
3: Children's needs to belonging in your environment with embracing the possibility another family may adopt them.
2: Well, I... That, that is hard. That is hard. Uh, again, when a child leaves a home, it is a time of heartbreak for many foster parents. But at the same time, I'm hopeful that I'm planting a seed in that child that will blossom into something much better. I am hopeful that the, the child's time in my home has provided a time of stability, security, a time of uncon- feeling of unconditional love, a time of um, healing and hope for that child. And that when they are adopted, uh, my, my hope and prayer is that um, they are a, a better now than they were before they came to my house.
3: How often, and we're just about out of time, but is that often the case? Or is it just so much trauma than being passed around that they aren't necessarily better?
2: Well, each time a child moves from one home to the next home, that there is an attachment issue, multiple displacement uh, every time a child's displaced, every time they move from home to home to home, there will be issues of attachment. There will well, be. We'll have
3: to, of- we will have to pick up issues of detachment on the other side of a commercial break. John and I will return to our discussion shortly. So stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
0: Introducing Just Like Sugar. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural zero-calorie sweetener alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great pure sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be used in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar, enhanced composition is a source of natural dietary fiber obtained from the chicory root. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend chicory maltodextrin, pure balanced extract, chicory root dietary fiber, and all the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is now available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. Linnea Starr began to demonstrate a metaphysical connection to the spirit world as a little girl. Her family noticed the connection, but it was a great-grandmother who told the family that Linnea was indeed gifted. The great-grandmother, who was also gifted, felt that Linnea had indeed inherited these attributes. It has been noticed that oftentimes such things are passed down through the generations. Linnea was also born with a call, a thin white membrane across a newborn's face. Legend has it that if the baby is born with this call, the child will have second sight or what we call psychic abilities. Linnea star does past, present and future and has the gift of prophecy, it is written within scriptures that if you are able to give factual information and prophecies indeed come true, the com.
3: Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from Zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit vitalityhappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge Information Packed episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. Our special guest this hour is Dr. John DiMauro, speaking with about children in foster care. His website, Dr. John, DeMauro, John we were getting into um, detachment disorder and the more frequently a child is moved around, the more of it they develop. Have you run into where you have a foster child in your home and it is just not working um, and if so how do you ha- how do you manage that?
2: Oh, sure I've had children come to my home who have been who have been moved from one home to the next for several years In fact, I had a child who was adopted by three separate families and abused during the course of nine years, physical, sexual, emotional abuse. And then when she was 17, came to our house and had tremendous issues of trust, tremendous issues of attachment, and why should she not? Every family that had adopted her had abused her in some way, and to her, family meant abandonment. The word love meant abuse. Uh, it was very tough, very challenging. And you know that was one of those instances and I, I tell you, I had guilt for this for two years, but my wife and I had to make the very, very painful decision that we had to have her placed in an environment, um, in another, another environment, because what she was doing at that age – my own children were 10, 9, and 7 at the time, and uh, this 17-year-old was – really having a uh, not only a tough time, but she was bringing a lot of hostility into our home, a lot of negativity, uh, placing her own children in harm's way, if you will, with her lifestyle. And that was a very hard decision for us to make, very hard. And again, I had guilt for that for two years. My head knew that we had to do this because of the safety for our own family. My heart felt that I had let her down.
3: How many times or how frequent is it that children that have been abused tend to abuse younger children around them?
2: Not very often at all. Not very often at all. What does happen though is they try to um, they try to disrupt the placement um, by uh, you know by testing those foster parents, so to speak. Uh, you know they're trying to test to see if, if we will uh, if, if we will not abuse them, if we will not betray them. Um, and there's that there's that time frame where they where they test us like all teenagers do, if you will. But very seldom will they abuse another child.
3: That's good to know how how do you what just what's what's operating there that they have that level of compassion
2: well, I know that foster most foster parents are trained to recognize those things and um you know when a child is placed into her home it is consistent vigilance uh constant observation ensuring that they're not placed in such um in such an environment or opportunity to do so you know when a child is When a child's placed into my home, my wife and I are always in the same room with them at all times, unless, of course, you know, they're sleeping.
3: So you really have to watch them. Now, you brought up something that I find interesting, um, is foster parent training. I I think a lot of us don't really recognize that there is training involved. What training is required, and where do they come by it?
2: Oh, well, when you sign up to become a foster parent, not only do you have to have a a home inspection and a police background check and those various types of... um, uh, that type of information you also have to undergo several hours of training so you can care for these children in your home so you can um, help these children with anxieties uh, and make sure that the placement is a is is a safe one um, and then each year foster parents need continuing educational hours every single year um, so they can continue to stay licensed and open up as a foster home and those are very Uh-oh. important. Those hours are very, very important. And that's what we do here at the foster care institute is we provide that type of training for foster parents.
3: How many hours to originally become a foster parent and then how many continued education hours are required?
2: That's a fantastic question. And unfortunately, there's not a, an answer for it. It really depends upon the state. Each state sets up their own uh, requirements in that regard.
3: So you just have to adjust state by
2: state. Correct, for some states it might be 15 hours each year. For uh, some states it might be 25 or 30. Again, it depends upon the state.
3: I've heard horror stories about abusive uh, foster care. Um, How accurate is that and what are the percentages?
2: It does happen. There's a bad apple in every single barrel in life. I think we would all agree upon that. There are bad parents. There are bad teachers. There's bad police officers, bad doctors. Um, there's a bad apple in every barrel. Um, but it's usually very seldom. And I find the same thing with foster parents. There is the misconception out there that foster parents are bad people. And I believe that as well before I became a foster parent. As I travel across the nation, the globe, I have found that the vast majority of foster parents are simply in it because they have a, they care for children and they want to help a child in need. But again, are there bad foster parents? Sadly, there are, and the media will focus only on those.
3: Well, of course. Yeah, that's what they do. Right. <laughs> my, my, my producer says if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead. So there you yeah, have it. Right. So are foster parents paid to take on children, and if so, how much is of that tends to be the motivation?
2: Well, it tends to be very, very little motivation, uh, and there's another misconception. Misconception is that people are in it for the money. I can tell you that it differs from state to state as well. But you know, for in general, the per diem, the daily rate. And it's based upon the child's age as well as the child's um, needs. But on average, my wife and I might get maybe 18 to $20 per day uh, per child. And you can quickly see when you have laundry and clothing and food and uh, transportation. And if I want to provide the child uh, uh, the opportunities of you know sports or athletics or music, whatever it might be, it, we're not in it for the money. It's for, it helps to be sure, um, but most foster parents are very quick and eager to um, to open up our own wallets and to give these child every single opportunity to have a normal lifestyle.
3: Are there restrictions? And I, I understand this is probably state to state, but on the number of foster care, care children that you can take on at any given time.
2: Yes, there are restrictions, and it's funny you ask that. Most states uh, say you may not have more than six children in your home at the same time. My wife and I, for the longest time, averaged nine, and we've even had 11 on a few occasions. And that's simply because the lack of foster parents in our own area uh, led to my wife and I signing uh, many waivers to have more children in our home.
3: What are you waiving with those waivers?
2: Uh... You know, that's a great question. It's been so long since I've really looked at those waivers. But we are simply allowing um, more children to be placed in our home. It's just it's a very, very simple agreement.
0: Do
3: you, um, you have house insurance, home insurance, homeowners insurance, all that stuff. Right. Is there a special provision that you have to make in order to be a foster parent?
2: Oh, absolutely. You've got to, Again, you've got to have um, stability of income, stability of housing. Do you have to have a big house? No. Do you have to be rich and wealthy? No. Uh, do you have to be married? No, you can be single, you can have a small house, you don't have to have a large income. You just have to be able to, again, pass background various background checks.
3: And those don't catch everything, do they?
2: No, they don't. Unfortunately, they don't. When we, when we see a system that is overrun with more children flooding in and not enough foster parents, when we see agencies that are overworked, overwhelmed, under-resourced, understaffed, uh, sometimes uh, the agencies are desperate to have a child placed into a home and a, a, a foster parent may slip to the cracks, so to speak. And that's how you get that bad apple.
3: Or or, or three or four. Or two. Or <laughs> okay. Um, when a child is taken away from their family of origin, is child abuse often involved, uh, physical or sexual abuse?
2: Yes, that is often many times as the case. Uh, again, you know, it really depends upon the individual case. But yes, many times these children are coming to us uh, with horrific stories of abuse. Oh my goodness, I could tell you stories that would really haunt your nightmares. Of children have been placed in my home, and uh, you know, I tell you what, as a human being, it really. Frustrates me and angers me to see the levels of abuse that these innocent children experience. And as a person of faith, I have to remind myself that you know I can't judge these people who do these horrific crimes. So many, there, so many of their parents are suffering from their own past trauma, their own uh, past anxieties that were never. Uh, never resolved in some fashion but yes so many kids suffer incredible forms of abuse and you know at the same time there are children who have been completely neglected I've had some kids who have been as old as seven eight nine years of age who can't read or write their own names who have um, who have been completely neglected I've had children who have been abandoned or homeless who come to live with me Uh, so all kinds unfortunately all sad stories
3: so once, you know, we, we know, we've learned that children uh, tend to parent as they were parented. How do you correct that so that they have an opportunity to become healthy, balanced parents, should they choose?
2: Well, I embrace the fact that I am a role model to every child that comes in my home. I am a role model of what a healthy parent looks like. I'm the role model of what a father figure looks like. I'm the role model of what a husband, a loving husband looks looks like. And I recognize that the child in my home is watching and listening to me at all times. Everything I say and everything I do is an example of how to be a parent, a husband, a father figure to their children. I take that role very seriously. And I think all foster parents, I think all parents in general should do that. And there's lots of discussions. There's lots of discussions of right versus wrong. There's lots of Discussions about choices and consequences, um, but I have to also recognize that for so many of these children who come to my home, they've never had a positive parental figure. They've never come from an environment where there were any rules or consequences. They come from an environment of tremendous instability.
3: A lot of responsible responsibility on you there. We're going to have to take another break, and we'll pick up on responsibility on the other side of this commercial break. John and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion, so don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.exxbn.net. ancients knew what we have forgotten. In order to be empowered by nature, one must be aligned with the way life works. We've become increasingly disconnected from the Earth and her cycles to our extreme detriment. The Medicine Wheel ceremony is an ancient rite practiced by shaman worldwide to recalibrate their people with the powers of the universe. Join me, Guelda at the Galactic Shamanism retreat this spring equinox March 18th through the 22nd in the beautiful Colorado Mountains. During this life-changing three-day medicine wheel training, you'll learn to build and maintain your own cross-cultural shamanic medicine wheel to promote manifestation, health, and personal power. Empower yourself with the wisdom of the ancients. Contact touchin at findyourpathhome.com or call 303-775-3431. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you'd like to be, would think would be of interest to us, email us, info at missionevolution.org. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Dr. John DeGarmo. His website, drjohndegarmofostercare.com. John, I'd like to open up a bucket of worms here, if you will. Please. You know, we've talked we've talked about all the children that are, you know, abused in their family of origin and uh, end up in the foster care system, but the numbers of children that just flat disappear are huge. What do you know about that?
2: Well, we have 300,000 children on average, according to many estimates uh, and many studies, that end up victims of human trafficking, uh, which is should be startling to all of us. That means it's happening in every single community in our nation. Uh, yet so many people don't want to discuss this, don't want to talk about it, don't even want to address it, because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Human trafficking is, I think, an ugly secret that is happening in America Yet again, it happens in every single community. So many children um, are in environments where they are neglected, where they are abused, who are unloved. And so they go to the once place where they think that they will find that love and they go online they go online and they try to create those those personas that they want to be they want to trying to find people who will support them who will like them who will accept them who will even love them and predators recognize that child predators recognize that and they lurk online to target those most vulnerable children and they lure them in with false hopes and their false promises and so many of them run away to the cities to become victims of human trafficking
3: would you mind backing up a little bit and, for us, define what exactly is human trafficking?
2: Oh, very simply, using a child for sex, selling children for sex. I've had children come to my home who have been victims of human trafficking as early as age 7, 8, or 9, who are being sold for sex 10, 12 times a day, 7 days a week. It even happens to children younger than that. Um, and again, 300,000 children in every single community in our nation, maybe even in our own neighborhoods.
3: So you, you talked about the, them getting on the internet and getting targeted that way, but this has been going on long before the internet, is that correct?
2: It has been, that's right. But it has only increased, though, uh, recently because of online. It's so much easier to target these children online uh, to the dark web. But yes, it's been going on for, for a very, very long time now, Sure.
3: What is the dark web?
2: Oh, the dark web is an area of the internet where it is uh, where you can find lots of. You know, people say you can't have child pornography sites online, and I say you sure can. It's it, it's maybe difficult to find it, but is there? There are ten thousand websites that offer child pornography.
3: So. Uh, do you have – of course, this might not be a figure you have, but what percentage of these children are just snatched from parks or places from loving loving parents um, and not through the web?
2: Oh, it does happen. I don't have those statistics, but you're, you're right. It does happen. And that's why we as parents need to be very, very diligent about where we are with our children at all times. You know, we unfortunately – I'm sure it was like the same way when you grew up. When I grew up, my parents would say, yeah, sure, go ride your bike down the neighborhood and go to your friend's house and we'll see you at the end of the day. Um, But unfortunately, we don't live in that type of world or environment anymore.
3: Um, We really never have, have we?
2: Well, we probably haven't. We put blinders on in that regard, too.
3: Yeah, that's that's a scary thing. So, what what advice do you have uh, for parents? I mean, the internet is a huge part of a kid's life. It used to be, you know, if you if you take away their bicycle, it was the end of the world. Now, if you take away their their um, gizmos that hook them into the internet, it's like you know, cause to hang yourself. What do you tell parents when you're trying to keep children safe and at the same time meet their needs for socialization via the internet?
2: Well, let's be clear on that. You and I might live in an online world, but our children inhabit it. There is a difference. They inhabit these worlds. We as parents have to be have to be very diligent on what they access. You know, I often tell parents that we are not their friends, we are their parents, we are the adults in their in their life. We have to monitor everything they're doing online. That means at the end of the day, my child Whatever the age will be in my house will give me their phone or their device. We plug it in the kitchen, and we will look through their device to see what games they're playing, what they're watching, what they're accessing, who they're talking to, and most importantly, who might be reaching out to talk to them. Mm -hmm. There are those who might say, hey, you're invading the child's privacy, and I say that's rubbish. I'm protecting my child because if my child has a thousand friends on social media, which I think is – unwarranted on every level. No child needs to have a thousand friends. Um, We don't know the percentage of those kids, those people who are actual predators in some fashion. So we have the rule in our house. If you have a friend online, a social media friend online, uh, not only do you need to know that person physically, but I as a parent need to know who that person is as well so it's constant diligence is looking over and see what they're playing what they're watching what they're accessing who they're talking to and it's not just day to day or week to week sometimes it's hour to hour
3: so these um social media actually have predators that uh, um, uh, work in uh, child trafficking as well
2: oh my goodness yes social media sites Uh, gaming sites, chat rooms, absolutely. That's where today's predators are lurking. You know, if my child is going to go on a gaming site, playing games, online games with other uh, participants across the globe online, that's where those predators are lurking. They're lurking on sites such as Instagram or TikTok or other social media sites as well, yes.
3: That's, That's frightening. And is this increasing? Do you think there's more predators out there now than there has been in the past? Yes,
2: absolutely. Yet we don't want to talk about those things. We don't want to address those things because everybody loves social media, and I do too. But, you know, that's again, that's where those predators are lurking because it's easier for them to target these children. As I said at the beginning of this show, 5 million children witness or experience domestic violence in their homes every year in the United States. Where are these children going for solace? They're going online. And that's where the predators recognize how vulnerable they have been. According to their from their abuse, and will target and lure them in.
3: So as ordinary people, what can we do to put a stop to this?
2: Well, we have to recognize the dangers to begin with. We have to accept and acknowledge that this is happening. We have to recognize that this is happening in our communities and our nations. We have to become advocates. We have to stand up and speak out against it. We have to protect our children. We have to be diligent and consistent with our... Um, monitoring of their devices. Uh, if we suspect something, if we suspect a child is being abused, we have to get over the embarrassment factor. We have to get over the fact that, you know what, what if I'm wrong? What if I what if I'm wrong? How embarrassed I'll be? My response is, but what if you're right? When you report that you are saving a child because as you and I talk right now, as we're having this discussion right now, there's a child hoping that someone will report the abuse that's happening in their home.
3: But how many of them are also going to feel horrific guilt, uh, separation trauma, I need to protect mom and dad, it's all my fault, everything's falling apart. How do you work with that?
2: That's to be sure. When a child's placed into a foster care setting, that's some of the anxiety they feel, they feel that they it's their fault. And we have to counsel these children to let them know that, you know what, it is not your fault. You did not do anything wrong. Your parents are having some challenges right now, they're having a tough time right now, they might be sick right now. We have to reassure the child over and over again that the abuse is not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong and they're a wonderful and loving child. What advice
3: do you have for our audience about providing help and support to our challenged
2: children? Well, my advice is this. Not everybody can be a foster parent, but everybody can help a child in some way. There are so many ways that we can help the children in every single community without necessarily bringing these children into our homes, whether it's acting as a mentor or a tutor, whether it's providing a hygiene, a backpack uh, filled with hygiene items or school supplies for these children at the beginning of the school year, whether it's pro- providing a brand new suitcase for that child placed into a foster care home, that child who comes to the home with their belongings in a black plastic bag, so that when they do leave the home, for whatever reason, they can have a a brand new suitcase to call their own. Those are just a few of the many, many ways that we as individuals can help children in crisis in our own communities.
3: Do you see children that have been handed around, that have been abused, are more susceptible to uh, trafficking and abuse than the child that has not?
2: Absolutely. And again, that goes back to those issues of attachment, those issues of trust. Yes, the more they've been abused, the more they've been uh, displaced, if you will, they are. Every child wants to be loved, every child seeks that out. And for some of them, they're seeking that out through. Uh, and, and they they trust those people who are giving them those false hopes, those false lies, those false promises, those traffickers. So that's how they may end up victims of human trafficking, because they're seeking it out. Again, every child wants to be loved.
3: Every child and wants to be loved. We have just a few minutes. Would you please share your vision for foster parenting in the future?
2: Oh, sure. My vision is that foster parents get the support and resources they need. Uh, so many foster parents don't get that type of support because again, child welfare agencies are under resourced, understaffed, uh, overwhelmed. My, my hope is that we as a society, um, find the truth about foster parenting. We don't necessarily believe those myths and misconceptions out there. My hope is that foster parents will, um, Recognize how valuable that they are to these mm-hmm. children.
3: Beautiful. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, John, thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity.
3: You bet. Our guest this hour has been Dr. John DeGarmo. DeGarmo author of several foster care books, including the new book, The Little Book of Foster Care Wisdom, 365 Days of Inspiration and Encouragement for Foster Care Families. He is the director of the Foster Care Institute and acts as a consultant to foster care agencies and legal agencies across the USA. His website, Dr. John drjohndegarmofostercare.com. Remember, our entire information-packed episode collection is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Wilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xedbn.net Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing resources and support to an evolving world.